Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another edition of Carnivorous Couch. Uh, we're joined this week by, once again, returning guest, JP. Say hello. Hi. Uh, Grandy. Hi. Brady. Hello. And me, Robbie. Hi, Robbie. All our things end in E. You're end with B. Two Bs. Yeah, but an E sound. Uh, anyway, this week we watched, uh, Platoon, Oliver Stone's, what, what, what year, Brady? Ooh, shoot, uh, I think 86. 86, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a guess for everybody, don't hold me to it. Mid-80s, yeah. for sure. Yes. And it's a Vietnam War film, and, uh, a lot of people think it's pretty good. Um, well, and it was a, be yeah, Best Picture winner, did we just say that? Was it? So it was? Picture, yeah, no, it was a Best Picture winner in 86, if we're right about that date. Um, and, you know, the 80s was a big decade for Stone. They loved the shit out of him. And, in fact, I think two years later, I think it was 85, and then two years later they gave him the Best Director Award for Born on the Fourth of July, a movie I think is really overrated, frankly. But they really loved him. So, yeah, anyway. Okay, uh, should I just run through the... The, the film, do the plot synopsis real quick? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what do we do? We start off with Charlie Sheen. He's shipping out from uh, basic training, going to Vietnam. He's deep in the bush uh, because Charlie Sheen has decided that he wanted to carry a rifle in the jungle and volunteered to do so after two years of college. Uh, everybody there is pretty mean to him at the beginning because... Uh, they don't like newbies because newbies don't know what they're doing and newbies are going to endanger them and maybe possibly get them killed. Uh, we're introduced to a bunch of characters. Um, some of the more notable actors who became more famous afterwards is good old Dr. Cox. John C. McGinley uh, was on the screen there. I think we see uh, Johnny Depp uh, briefly, but he dies in like the first firefight. And um, we see there's also uh, Oliver Stone himself is on the screen. But... Um, so Tom Berenger plays this guy Barnes, who's kind of the devil character, and uh, then um, what's his name? Willem Dafoe plays uh, the angel character Eli or Elias. Elias or Eli? Uh, Elias. Elias. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I forget what happens in the first couple scenes, other than that he shows up. And everybody calls each other names. Yeah, yeah cheese dick being. Cheese dick. Meaning your dick is. Still floppy, impliable. I think was the way JP looked at it. I guess I couldn't. We we, we we may be trying to even read into it too much. It's, they're just cheese sticks, man. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Maybe they cheese meant cheese sticks. sticks. You know, like she, fish maybe, sticks. They mean cheese sticks. Yeah, cheese sticks. Hey, cheese stick, you won't last a minute. You'll get dunked in marinara in the first week. Yeah, exactly. There we go. That's plausible. Yep, uh, let me see the tagline for this film, I believe. I do have it in front of me, but uh, I'm already going to say that I remember it being that the first casualty of war is innocence. Well, that's uh, a terrible ca catchphrase, but every catchphrase is. Yeah. No, nah, it's all marketing. You know. 
So anyway, uh, does anybody remember what happens after the first scene where he shows up and he's yeah, like, here, uh, grandma? I'll take uh, yes, ants on the back of his neck or something. Shifts, you know, we're we're grunts, guys. We're in this together. We're gonna get through this podcast and get back to that sweet girl in New York. We're gonna take her to Coney Island, have sex with her on the carousel, and eat a hot dog. But first, we gotta synopsize this film. So I think what I happens think Brady's gonna is die the first. film starts. The film starts with a lot of uh, detail work, which. Let me just say up front, without actually going into a critique of this movie, I think is what the movie does best, is actual the details of the environment itself. One of the first things I remember after the... One of the first things I remember after the bodies on the tarmac scene that kicked it off is just Charlie Sheen being covered with ants in the jungle and slapping his neck. And we get a lot of these backgrounding shots of meeting the characters, but it's not for at least a little bit before we get our first major action and what is it? Our first major action is that pot party, right? In the mm. tent? No. Well, no, because he has to get shot in the neck, and then they end up in the pot party. Oh, that's right, the ambush. I'm sorry. Yep, they had the ambush, and then he fell asleep. And t- well, he didn't fall Except asleep. Except he doesn't right? fall asleep. He just completely freezes up. Yeah, Junior fell asleep, and he just woke up to see the guys coming in. But Junior was the one that was supposed to be awake for the watch. Right, I mean... Yeah, it, it might not have been on Sheen, but there's still an impression of error on Sheen's part in that he watches these guys forever. I thought that scene was good, though, because it was like, I don't know, are these guys Vietnamese or are they just my guys? Like, you, it takes forever to even see who they are. I thought uh, Stone did a good job with that element of like, geez, am, am I just supposed to shoot on the first person I see, regardless of whether I know they're an innocent or not? Uh, so anyway. Well, you can tell because the, the gooks put the... Uh... The leaves on their helmets. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought maybe a, a grunt would do that to well, camouflage. Yeah, possibly too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's just a device to show us, the viewer, that they're bad guys. Mostly. Okay. So, the Vietnamese are bacchanal sprites in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> leaves in their hair and fighting for uh, freedom and whatnot. So anyway, we go on to the R&R scene, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, they're all smoking opium and smoking weed and drinking Budweiser, right? And, yep. And uh, then at one point... Uh, some the, the black soldiers are weed smokers and some of the tougher like white soldiers, including Barnes, are good old hard-drinking men. And But Elias likes to smoke weed... And so Sheen smokes a little weed, and then Willem Dafoe, uh, in, a, in a kind of a homoerotic scene, pops up like an inch from his face and is like smiling. He's like, so, is it, is it your first time? Have you ever smoked weed out of a rifle barrel? It might be loaded. <laughs> yeah, he basically gives him blowback down a uh, shotgun barrel. That was a shotgun. Which was wrong because he cocks it twice. It goes click, click, right? And that yeah, would close so the that action. Would close the action. Yeah. I have no idea how Fucking that bullshit, worked. man. There's the action airtight. Yeah, and so I guess we see there's no, like... not entirely, but you wouldn't be able to blow a mouthful of smoke through there. Yeah, I guess not. So anyway, that happens, right, Brady? Yeah, that that happens. We get to kind of see a, like a liberal conservative duality in the camp, I guess. Like the more like "fuck you, you pussy," like I love war, bathe in it, and then the people who are just like, "I'm gonna smoke weed to forget that I'm." in this goddamn jungle and might die at any time. Uh, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and then there's also him hanging out, emptying the latrines with the other dudes, right? Oh, yeah. And he's having a conversation explaining that he volunteered, and then they're like, why'd you volunteer? He's just like, well, I thought it was stupid that all, like, the rich whitey always stays home and all the poor black folks gotta go to war. And they're like, man, you gotta be rich in the first place to think think like that. Right, yeah. White people problems, basically. Like, oh, you have the luxury to complain, to take a high-minded stand against war. By quitting an expensive education. So anyway, then what happens? Then we get, Randy, I think, our first, like, easily one of the biggest uh, scenes in terms of emotional impact in the film. Uh, and I may have reservations later about this scene, but it's certainly impactful. They essentially find one of their guys, I think, like, pinned to a tree with a knife in his neck or something. He's He's been killed in a a not lovely way and so they're like fuck it there's a village over there like we're gonna go investigate like we're gonna kick some ass on behalf of uh, this murdered grunt uh and so they basically go into a vietnamese farming village and and as soon as they're in there they start shooting pigs and well first they find the hidey hole though right Yeah, they find the bunker okay well here rob but what happens in the hidey hole uh, well, they go down there, and then, like, the one guy's looking at it, and she's like, dude, that's just maps or whatever. He's like, no, this is important. This has got to be, like, planned. I can't read it, but... And, you know, one guy's kind of dismissive, and it's just like, that's gook shit, man. Like, obviously, it's of no use to us. But that guy's like, no, it's something important. something blows up. Yeah, and then, uh, so they're down there, and uh, they they catch a booby trap. And then now they're shooting pigs and, like, beating up villagers and stuff because they're just pissed off and amped up and... Then we get that really evil scene where the guy is just, like, egging everybody on to shoot everybody in the village, right? Yeah, we also get a Charlie Sheen scene that I'll, I'll talk about later where they basically find uh, an older woman and her her older, probably in his 20s, but, like, very mentally handicapped son hiding out. And essentially, Charlie Sheen kind of goes nuts and, like, he's like, hey, man, like, why are you smiling at me? Because he has, like, he might have a cleft palate or he has, you know a facial disfiguration on account of his handicap. Um, and so he basically makes him dance, does the whole shoot at your feet, make you dance gig. And he doesn't kill him, but then this character named Bunny, played by Kevin Dillon, who's a, a bit more vicious than Sheen, uh, ends up killing the son. Yeah, and then after that, uh, they're also trying to figure out um, if there are any Viet Cong in the village. Yeah, so well, then Berenger's we... character grabs like the yeah. wife because he goes like i know this is your kid right or we that basically was your kid, jump so. from a pretty brutal scene to maybe an even more brutal scene and that like there's <laughs> maybe just it's behringer's like ability to convey menace better than sheen but like there's a very big sense of danger in that uh which it's actually one of the best scenes in the movie that like is eventually broken when defoe is like holy shit barnes like what the fuck are you doing like, this angel character, as you put it, Rob, played by Willem Dafoe, has to come in in the nick of time to possibly keep Barnes from executing, you know, innocent women uh, that they've rounded up. Right. And then, uh, oh, yeah, and, and uh, then also somebody's about to rape some woman at gunpoint, too, and Sheen's like, these are human fucking beans, man, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Says, You're animals. He told them that they don't get it. And they're like, no, you don't belong in the NOM. Wasn't that Taylor? Uh, is Taylor the Sheen character? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I want to say so. 
Uh, Charlie Sheen is our main protagonist. He's also our narrator in this. By the way, through this, oh, we've gotten glimpses of this narration where he writes letters to his grandmother. Uh, so that's that's a voiceover narration in the film. Uh, and that's Charlie Sheen. He's our main guy. Yeah. He's our uninitiated grunt that's getting dirtied up in in the world of the shit. So then, then after that, there's a really big scene, right, where basically everybody starts to die. Everybody starts to get killed. Yeah, there's a big fight, uh, you know, <coughs> where they essentially find what, like, traps have been laid in the forest, and they kind of have to go hunting for uh, Viet Cong who are in hiding there. Yeah, I think they're just sitting down, and they just totally get ambushed, right? <laughs> like, surrounded uh, on yeah. all sides by, by Charlie. And so anyway, uh, in in the melee, like tons of people die, and then also uh, Barnes uses this distraction and all this craziness to go kill um, Willem Dafoe's character Eli. Elias, yeah. Yeah, Elias. And uh, Sheen takes his word for it, although it turns out that he actually didn't kill Elias. And uh, we see Elias from the air, uh, where he actually is getting killed. Right. And then now the jig is up, and I mean, and in a way, he does, Sheen's though. character Taylor is totally convinced uh, that uh, Barnes has been killed, has killed Elias. Yeah, I mean, he he wounds him, and he sends the helicopter on its way. So he he makes a wounded Defoe run from a massive Viet Cong army, and also makes sure that his mode of escaping is. High in the air by the time he's able to get out there. No, I, I, I thought he like thought to that point he out that At this point in the movie, we've heard Adagio uh, from the strings uh, about 15, 16, 17 times. Yeah. <laughs> it is the whole score for this film. Luckily, I love it. So it could. I, it's not even like super problematic, but uh, yeah, it's the entire score. Of the yeah. I, and it's only about, I think, 20 minutes long. So. But we keep hearing the same passage over and over again. Who wants to sing Adagio for Sterling's Quest? Shh. Hide. I barely touched it. <laughs> Likely story. Well, so much for Brady getting his own area. No, no, just, just no, nope, nope, get no, get on the ladder. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that happens, and then a lot of people get killed, and then so we go back to another R and R scene, and uh, Taylor is talking about killing Barnes, right? Yeah. And then Barnes is just uh, sitting there going, "Killing." Oh, and just what a, you know about killing? A quick half tangent, uh, something that's kind of peripherally related. Uh, earlier, we didn't mention before the massacre scene where Elias dies. We get a lot of talk with the other side, with Barnes's side, talking about fragging him. So now Sheen is essentially taking on this role of saying, you know, fragging means to kill one's own captain. Basically, like, yeah, let's uh, let's. I think it just means to night. kill, but in, just in general. I thought it means explode, yeah. fragment, throw a grenade oh. at said person. Yeah, that is true. The fragmentary grenade is, is Frag a common out. way this was carried out. I mean, but in Doom, when you kill somebody, you just get a frag, regardless of whether or not it's a rocket launcher. I or think it a became parlance for mm -hmm. for killing one's own captain. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about Doom. 
when you play deathmatch. Well, that's from Vietnam, man. Thank Vietnam for your <laughs> Yeah, but it doesn't have to have to doesn't have to be a grenade. It just has to be a kill. No, I know. Um, I think the idea is is that you cause so much damage that you send your opponent into a bunch of gibs that fly around the level. Ludicrous Gibbs. Yeah, I do remember the Ludicrous Gibbs. <laughs> that was Rise of the Triad, right? That was. We're on games now. Okay, so there's <laughs> there's more. Okay, so what happens in this scene is Sheen's character Taylor is talking about uh, fragging Barnes, and he's trying to get people to do it, saying, you know, I know he killed Eli. I saw what happened, and essentially, you know, he gets in a fight with someone who's more a supporter of Barnes, and we've come to find that Barnes has been out there swigging off a bottle of Jack Daniels right outside the door the entire time. So he's heard it all. And uh, this is a good scene. It's it's really tense, and it harnesses into Behringer's acting. Behringer's one of the best in the entire ensemble, I'd say. Uh, and he basically comes in, and you know, instead of being super violent, it plays off the promise of violence. As Barnes like, you guys think you know about killing? Like, is that something easy for you? Because it's real easy for me, like... And kind of makes them see, like, I, you know, hate me all you want, but I've been out here a long time. I'm a tough man. I'm hard to kill. And I don't have a problem with killing for all your talk of doing it. And then essentially leaves it to hang. Doesn't infl- Oh, wait, he does inflict some violence against Sheen, but Sheen provokes it. Yeah, uh, and, then he, and then he pulls a knife on him, and then everybody says, Bonds, just, just let him go, man. Bonds. No, don't do it, Bonds. Yeah, and he gives him Bond. a little scorpion flick on the cheek with his knife. Just like a little, I could have got you wound. A reminder. Yeah, I think Barnes' character is probably the most interesting character in that whole movie. But yeah, I say Barnes is the most interesting, but Defoe's is the most well-acted. <laughs> I guess I'd agree with that. Uh, so anyway, what happens? What, uh, I can't remember what happens after that. Isn't that kind of sort of the end? Almost. Yeah, then Almost. But then they attack the final uh, battle. The, where they they end up as the uh, the bait for the Vietnamese army. Oh, and they, yeah, the entire yeah. platoon gets fucked. And then, like, Oliver Stone playing the radio guy sends in a, a airstrike, right? Yeah, blows up everything. And then, um, the, like, the final scenes are just uh, everybody, like, dusting themselves off after the battle and looking around and seeing who's left. Just nobody. Yeah, and then Sheen gets airlifted out and gives a... I mean, there's there are other individual scenes that happen in the course of this. We get character beats, like the cowardly soldier who wanted to lie and say his feet were fucked up. All or right, yeah. John C. McGinley lives the, by... Uh, the older black soldier played by Keith David, who's Sheen's best friend, actually gets to get airlifted out before the battle. But, you know, I think that causes an emotional issue with people who don't get to leave. Like, fuck, I want to leave. Like, this isn't going to go well for me. Like, and Got a bad feeling really about this out. one. And yeah, and then basically, in the heat of this battle, Behringer's going to kill Taylor. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm mixing it up, because one's the actor and one's the character. Uh, Barnes is going to kill Taylor, Behringer's going to kill Sheen in the midst of the battle, and a lucky airstrike uh, keeps that from happening, and gives Sheen the upper hand to eventually shoot Barnes. <laughs> Behringer. Yeah, but it's kind of like only out of chaos is he able to defeat the grizzled veteran. Uh, yes. Anyway, I think that's a good plot synopsis, because then the movie ends, right? Uh, yeah, then he gets airlifted out, and is like, well, the Elias character and the Barnes character 
or like kind of this war mother and father to me. And my identity post-war has been sculpted a bit out of the dialectic between these two. Okay, so let's move on to the hey, 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 how did you like it segment. Hey, 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 how do we like it? So, JP, how did you like this movie? Well, it was okay. I, I didn't, it's, you know, it's not my favorite movie. It was uh, a little chaotic, and it's hard to follow what all is going on on screen at a given point in time. And uh, I think the action sequences were just too chopped up and and, and poorly edited to really uh, enjoy. And the characters, for the most part, were kind of uninteresting, except for Barnes. And, uh, I don't know, it seemed like a, a little preachy and heavy-handed at times. Um, and, you know, it, it was a movie. It's, it's fun. You get some popcorn, you munch it down, and, you know, laugh at some of the funny stuff. Like, you see Forrest Whitaker and some dude that looks like Snoop Dogg and other... <laughs> you know, there's there's funny dialogue that, that pops up and... You know, most of the time it's unintentional, but it's it's it, it's it's entertaining. It's okay. So, care to give it a letter grade? Uh, I'd probably give it a C plus. Grandy, on to you. Uh, I thought it was a uh, a good movie for a war movie. Uh, it was thought it was they tried to make it really realistic, uh, in a lot of ways, and I like how they had the dynamic between. The uh, like good and evil, but that dynamic not being American and um, the Viet Cong, more so the good of the American people and the evil of American, the dynamic between those two. Um, kind of thought that was great. And then Charlie Sheen's, uh, the narration that he did throughout the thing, I also thought was uh, kind of cool because he had a kind of an outside perspective of it because he had volunteered for and wanted to be there. Uh, at least initially, um, as opposed to having to be there. So his narration throughout, which uh, was which wasn't a whole lot of narration, uh, I thought he had some good insight. And if I was to give it a letter grade uh, in terms of it being a war movie, uh, I'd give it a I'd give it an A. I thought it was excellent for a war movie. Brady. Uh, all right. Yeah, this one's tough for me because. Uh, it's one of those movies you think you know until you see it and pay attention to it, I feel like. Uh, so, you know, I used to have this thing at an A. Uh, and the reason I had it as an A uh, are still things I appreciate about this film. They're big character beats, and they're, they're vivid. Uh, but what I found this time watching it was I didn't find a lot of connective tissue between those scenes. And I really was struck by how poorly developed the Charlie Sheen character is. I think he's he has almost no identity at all. So that was a problem. But the movie has a lot of quality, and it hits its operatic notes with force. And that's because I think the Behringer and the Defoe characters are very, very well acted. And uh, I, I won't lie, this helps fit into my view of Oliver Stone, frankly, which is I think he achieves vividness, but I don't have the greatest respect for him as a director. I have issues with him in pretty much every film I've seen of his. But every now and then he can tap into a good actor's performance. I think Defoe does a phenomenal job of kind of doing interesting, even, as I said, homoerotic kind of things with this angel character. He's 
Because it's a mother and father thing. Like, he's the more... He's supposed to be sensual in a way. Like, a reprieve from the hell of war and Berenger represents the opposite. And that's an easy character beat that Stone thought to write in. But they give it life that's realistic. So, <laughs> anyway, in the end, I, I'll give it a B+. All right. Yeah. Um, let me see. This, this movie is interesting because I watched it a bunch of times growing up. And actually, I think this is the DVD we used to test out the DVD player and 5.1 sound system I hooked up in 1998 in my parents' house. And uh, actually, it does have a really good sound mix, um, especially for one of those, one of the first movies to be transferred over to DVD back then at the time. Um, but it's not as good as I remember it. Um, I did find it to be kind of, I guess, incoherent. It just didn't really... It's hard to tell what's going on, which maybe is intentional. Uh, like Brady said, it was very vivid. It does show a lot. Um, you know, obviously, very expensive set pieces. A lot of big bada-booms. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't really... It's. I'm surprised it won Best Picture. Uh, that's really surprising to me, because it's not really a Best Picture kind of movie. I mean, it's I about guess... Nam, though. Like, a decade after, it's a nice pat on the back. And they thought Stone was going to be, like... They probably thought Stone was going to be better than Scorsese. They're like, fuck this Scorsese guy. It's all about Oliver Stone, man. He's going to be the best. Yeah, well, he was uh, big in the 80s, I guess. He was the right... Like, he was a very 80s kind of guy, right? Yeah, well, and he wrote Apocalypse Now. That's the best thing he ever did, was write Apocalypse Now. Oh. I think. I think he adapted it from... the you know, Heart of Darkness? Heart of Darkness. Interesting. Well, anyway, I hope I'm right. <laughs> so this isn't as uh, good as I remember it, but it, it's fine. Uh, I'd just give it a C plus, uh, much like uh, JP, and uh, that's what I thought. Dang, I didn't think I'd be the highest, and I'm really not that high on this. Well, Grandy gave it an A. I was the highest, pretty. All right. Oh, that's right. Oh, never mind. An A Sorry. for a war movie. <clears throat> um, uh, that's true. Can I? Well, what would you, uh, you call know, it if it was just quick a revision. Movie? Audible. I'm calling an audible. Let me at least B slash B plus this thing, because I, I do have some pretty strong issues. <clears throat> B slash B plus it. I think that a lot of you guys rated it lower because of the incoherentness of it, but it being the Vietnam War, I, I kind of feel like the incoherentness of it was just the madness that was Vietnam. Like, you didn't know where they were going or what they were doing all the time, but neither did they, like, at all. I understand that. I agree but with that. But, especially given what I know of Stone with his chaotic, incoherent ass and everything he does, I'm very wary about him letting about letting him use the chaoticness of the Vietnam War as a subject matter as an excuse for his general incoherence as a director, which appears often. So I'm like, hmm, like I don't trust you, buddy. Brady's talking <laughs> like a girlfriend who's been like, you know, burned by a controlling, ma manipulative ass of a boyfriend far too many times. It's like, don't let him and his incoherency win you over just because it happens to fit with the theme. You, you make sure that you fight for your power, sister. Oh, this is so typical of you, Oliver. <laughs> anyway, we're so weird. <laughs> Deeply weird. You know, the, the pacing of the movie, too, is just like, bam, 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 boom, boom. It's uh, very, very different from the movie we watched last week, where it just sort of lazily drifted along from one scene to the next. So you 
never you got a chance to to take what what's going on in and that's when you don't really get that chance you just kind of <laughs> get rushed along to the next bit yeah i really like you know th- this is just like what memory does like this is one of those you're, have you guys seen that test in college where there's a circle that's incomplete and it's supposed to be showing how the human mind will fill in that gap just like well obviously that's a circle i feel like this movie to me is like a broken up circle and i feel like my human connective tissue filled in logical sequences because it's easy to make sense of the film but i can't ignore that a lot of the emotion that would come with good character development isn't there and i think stone leans on his actors who are good who are very good actors except for sheen I really don't like Sheen in this. Hey, come on, man. He's like a fucking crazy rock star actor from Mars. But, you know, Forrest Whitaker and Keith David and Kevin Dillon, like a bunch of actors we all know now, uh, do good work. But I don't think it's in the writing. It's not in the script. I think they're underdeveloped. And so the emotions I remember landing don't land quite as well. What? I don't think the focus of the movie was character development. I think it was showing the nitty-gritty of war and the Vietnam War in particular. I think that was meant to be the focus of the movie. Well, I think we kind of got how much we like it. Should we run off and do our understudy and come back and talk a little bit more about this film and uh, our opinions? Sure, we can can do like specific scenes. Okay. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors. To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest They're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now It's funny How you're going all the time but you're always here when I need you. Isn't that funny? Is Madeline all right? She's on her way home. To Chicago? No, no. Here. Did she ask about me? Is she too old to have babies? Wait a second, that's none of my business. You don't have to answer that. Is she? <laughs> Do wait a second again. Do it from wait a second. Wait a second, that's none of my business. No, you don't have to answer that. Is she? No, no. I don't think she is. We haven't really talked about it. Oh, you better for the relationship to work out. That's what they say anyway. I hate hospitals, but it really wasn't all that scary. All the needles and stuff. It wasn't all that bad. I'll tell you what the scariest thing is to me. The scariest thing to me is Johnny. <coughs> it is. He didn't say nothing. Not one word. I don't know what it is. I think he really did want it to. It's a boy. You know how I know? Because I heard him tell your power to paint the cradle brown. You wouldn't put a baby girl in a brown cradle. <coughs> you just wouldn't. I don't know what he's thinking. It's not my fault. Of course not. And all that time, and all that stuff I got, and all those months, precious. It was just for nothing. 
and those fucking doctors. They think they know everything, but they know nothing. They don't know anything. I don't understand. I don't understand why would God let this happen? Why would he? I just would wanted something good to come out of all of this. I mean it. I really mean it, Splashes. I bet I'm really pretty right now. Boy, these things really make you think, huh? <laughs> you know what? I'm craving some nuts. <laughs> I am too. And they won't give me any. You want me to go and see if I can get some peanuts? Would you? You know, it's not what I need. All I want in the whole world is for Johnny to love me like he did in high school. You held him, didn't you? He was beautiful. He was perfect. He was... He was blue. You, you'll come back and see me tomorrow, won't you, Bratches? And can you all stay for the service? We want to, and... We gotta figure that out. I know. You got stuff you got to get back to. I know, I know. But you'll be there in spirit. I will. I, I know. I don't understand. But you make me feel about better about things than anybody else. And you don't even do anything. Yeah. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y cow. Hi everybody! Hi everybody! We're back. Yay! Um, and we're talking about Platoon. So Brady wanted to talk about at least one specific scene. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think this movie is good for this because I think there are a few major set pieces. Uh, and the first one, major one, I think of being the Village Massacre. Then we have the big battle that culminates in the death of Defoe and finding out that Barnes. Isn't just a little possibly evil. He is a murderous bastard. And then there's the final battle scene where the conflict between Charlie Sheen's character and Barnes comes to a head. And Barnes almost kills him, but a luckily timed airstrike saves his life. A bit contrived, I thought. Uh, And uh, Sheen kills Barnes. And then it, it ends there. There's well, other stuff, too. Thank goodness it ends there, because then he might have become the next Barnes after that. <laughs> no! Yes! Uh, no? Yeah. I mean, he just did what Barnes did. He did. Sorry, I was having a coughing fit, so I didn't quite catch any of that. Which scene were you talking about? Oh, he was just saying, you know, Barnes killed Elias, but Sheen's character, Taylor, eventually kills Barnes. Cold-bloodedly. Yeah, okay, so you weren't talking about a specific scene, you're just talking about what happens? Well, we're talking about what happens at the end of the last climactic scene. Yeah, but I mean, like, Elias kills, uh, I mean, Barnes kills Elias way earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, JP was saying, I think, uh, I don't want to put words in JP's mouth, but that, like, Maybe there's a bit of uh, Taylor becoming Barnes in that he's willing to kill out of passion or self-interest now. Well, he said he's a mother and father, like father, like son. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the first casualty of war is innocence, man. Oh, my God. I didn't Whoa. realize how deep that poster was. <laughs> Shit. 
<laughs> that's that's what I mean about the movie is a little preachy. Yeah. Well, that see, okay. Can I? As long as we're at the ending scene and how it ends, let me just take this occasion to say I wasn't so much for the voiceover. I thought there were moments where this thing said things twice where it didn't need to, and uh, it would have yeah, been like better if it were more economical. Here's one big example that I noted. We get the scene, the first scene where Berenger and his men, the people who take his side, are speaking about fragging Elias. And immediately after that scene, we get a scene with Sheen and Elias, whose only purpose is to show us Sheen's character telling Elias that the guys want to frag him. What's the purpose of saying that twice? I, I mean, I guess. It's just a little bloaty. What it's a little bloaty. The first time. You know, like that he was writing to his grandma. If you missed that the first time, they do say it another six times per letter. Well, that too. I just don't belong here, Grandma. Grandma, I just don't even... Uh, grandma, I think I made a big... Grandma, I think I made a big mistake coming to Vietnam. What if this thing has ended like Psycho and there was no Grandma? It was just <laughs> like he kept a skeleton in his duffel bag? <laughs> or in a shoebox, like a very small... You know how old people shrink? I do. His grandma had shrunk to the size of a set of shoes, and then he just carried it around. <laughs> I'm getting older. I'm, sh- I'm shrinking. I, sh- I shrank. I shrank like a half inch. It's very I sad. A half inch. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, go uh, on. So, how about uh, that scene there with the the opium smoking? And the gun barrel. Uh, it was it was well acted. Uh, what 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 is the um? I think. What is the significance of blowing someone a kiss through a gun barrel? You know. Hmm. And then saying things like, "Is it your first time?" I mean, it's almost like Willem Dafoe, like through that haze, in you know the kind of wackadoodle shooting. Uh, he's kind of saying like he's in a dream and like Willem Dafoe's actually kind of sort of hitting on him a la uh, Boondock Saints, right? Yeah, maybe just like a smattering of, you know, loss of virginity motifs as it applies to war, as it applies to becoming someone who's tried drugs for the first time. And, you know, that's very in keeping with a lot of films about Vietnam, which is it's not just a war, it's this trippy kind of war it's we think of it in the popular culture associated with psychedelic music and, and it had no purpose so it was kind of like a meandering art film of a war it's like well, who knows where we came in man we're just too stoned fighting this war you know fighting this war just got us so stoned man what do you think randy uh i think that it added to the realism of it because opium and marijuana were a big part of the war because there's so much of it over there. And everyone that went over to Vietnam smoked a lot of opium and uh, came back with addictions. Well, opium, like those guys were doing some crazy stuff in there, but opium has a way of lightening the atmosphere when, when you're when you're. Wait, I have to interject just to find out. Uh, Are they smoking opium in that tent? I thought it was weed. Well, some of it's weed and some of it's opium. The longer pipes with like the hotter flames. 
little from cotton opium. Like uh, down down the tube, uh, that was weed off a joint. But okay. uh, right before that, he had smoked opium off a pipe. Ah, I see. And that's what Defoe was asking him if it was his first time about. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, man. I thought that scene was just fluff, trying to add some cool factor to the uh, movie, make it a little edgy or something. Yeah, but there's always a scene or two like that in most Vietnam movies, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, they've got to show the the their relaxation time. That's apart from the uh, the actual fighting and the craziness that is war. Yeah, and they were playing uh, what tracks of my tears in there. Yeah, who's that? Sam Cooke. Uh, is it Smokey Robinson? Maybe. Shit, I don't know. One of us should know that, right? <laughs> no, out of the four of us, nobody knows. Uh, I didn't even pay attention to the music really. There was enough. Other things going on. I, I want to say Smokey Robinson, actually. Yeah, somebody will look that up for us. Um, what's another scene that was in fact... Oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't talk about um, Willem Dafoe doing the I'm Christ on the cross thing. Yeah, well, I'd say like that is that is the most famous scene of the movie, easily. Isn't it on the poster? Yeah, the image everyone thinks of from this movie, the image and sound, is Adagio for strings with Dafoe going down on his knees and getting robocopped with bullets... And going like flailing and just like, Ugh. and the the sad music just wells, and uh, yeah, and he is our most sympathetic character. Brady's right, it's Smokey Robinson. Yay. He is Smokey hey, Robinson. Thanks for looking that up, Steve. Yeah, get out now. Good duck. <laughs> well, yeah, I I thought that that scene. Uh, kind of was a way of showing that innocence, like the catchphrase or whatever word you guys used, uh, proves that innocence is lost in war. Because he was kind of the guy who was uh, more innocent, I guess, or not as hard-hardened by war. Um, and yet, he didn't make it. In the worst possible way, he got betrayed, uh, shot in the chest three times by uh, the dude with all the scars on his face, and was left to die, and yet he didn't but right away. Did. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I'll but stay... he lasted quite a while after being shot three times square in the chest. I'll stake my yeah, flag here that whatever else I say or think about the film, this is the scene that is the most I think compelling scene in the film. I think there's a reason that cut on the public consciousness is, you know, and it may be heavy-handed in some ways, but I think because it's Defoe-centric, maybe. And because I think he's the most compellingly portrayed character in the movie, uh, it's at least the one that resonated the most for me. I, if you want me to know, I found the last battle, if technically well shot, to be dramatically uninteresting. Uh, and I, I did have a problem with that last battle, right down to the very convenient, you know, bad guy getting nape striked, even though Charlie Sheen doesn't, because there's a human on top of him, and I guess that protects you from napalm reasoning uh so yeah i think the defoe sequence is the best in the film yeah i was wondering if there was any significance to the fact that um barnes has been shot three times and he shoots elias three times so they do make mention to the fact barnes has been shot three times and he's not dead yet 
I mean, either it means something or it's the sign of an overly showy director just putting a number in there so that film geeks notice that he was shot the same number of times. Well, I mean, you know, maybe somebody tried to kill Barnes before and they shot him three times. Well, I thought they did. Well, they know he's been shot seven times. Remember? Seven. Oh, I thought it was three. No, no, we find out in the next scene when Sheen's trying to frag Barnes and the guy uh, who takes Barnes aside is like, he's not that easy to kill. He's been shot seven times. Okay. Well, uh, then I guess there's no significance to that thing that didn't happen. Anyway, sorry. I hope I'm not being overly combative. You're being really combative. I'm sorry. I don't know, man. I like like it. Uh, That was just the only point I had. And it's a non-point. But it is a <laughs> combat film. This is war. That's right. One of us should leave here less alive than we are. <laughs> I certainly will. Well, should we run off and do our rank it? Absolutely. Rank it. Rank it. Rank it. Rank it. Rank it. Bitch. Oh, starting at the bottom. And okay. Working on Hi, everybody. Oh. This is Rank It for this week. We have J.P. Grandy, Robin, Brady. Brady. I like that little jump because, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, are you even creating noise? Wait a minute. I think I am. Yeah. Uh, I could be louder. There I am. I'm, I'm with you, Grandy. I'm hanging out with you on the track. Oh, Dang like we're on the... Oh, right on. Yeah, so it's just you and me. Anyway, uh, this is our rank it for this week. War movies. Uh, number seven. seven. Where Brady is. Oh, I get to start us off, eh? I was, well, I mean, until you interrupted me. Oh. I was going to do a, an Ira Glass, but whatever. What's your number seven, Brady? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I killed an Ira Glass. Um, my number seven is 2006's Letters from Iwo Jima from Clint Eastwood, the last truly great movie that Clint Eastwood made, because uh, he had a good string, I think, Mystic River and Million Dollar Baby, and this one, which I think is a really good war film that actually takes the perspective of the Japanese on Iwo Jima, a force that would be conquered, a, a well-known historical fact, and, you know, a side of, uh, kind of a symbolic American victory. We all remember the image of the flag being raised. And, uh, yeah, just examines it from the Japanese side, examines issues of honor. It's just a really well-acted, really spare, sympathetic, but also very observant film, uh, and one that I really would like to revisit soon. So, yeah. Hey, Grandy, what's your number uh, seven? Uh, my number seven best war film of all time is going to be Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I thought it was uh, an excellent, excellent movie. I love Tarantino's style uh, in all of his movies, um, which is probably the only reason that this movie gets onto my top seven list of best war movies of all time, because I have a huge appreciation for war movies that are more realistic. 
but it brought a level of jovelty to uh, a more serious thing that was going on. Hey, JP, what's your number seven? Lawrence of Arabia, because no prisoners. All right. My number seven is redacted, because um, I saw it, and I thought it was really good, and I never heard about it again or ever spoke with anyone who'd seen it again. So uh, I have this feeling that it's really good, but just nobody knows it. That, and I thought it was cool when I saw it, so... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would uh, not like it as much, but I felt like it should be mentioned because it never is. Uh, I guess we're Brady number six. Yeah, uh, number six. This is a well-known one. I'm going with Steven Spielberg, Saving Private Ryan, uh, a film that I, I think is great. I think it's taken some licks, and some of them I understand. I don't like the framing device that starts and ends the film. Uh, but everything other than that, I completely take issue with the people who say that this movie only amounts to its climactic opening battle. I think it's tremendously spare and restrained for Spielberg in terms of character development and introduced great actors uh, like, uh, what's his name, Jeremy Davies, Barry Pepper, Giovanni Ribisi, uh, made Tom Sizemore seem like a good actor before we learned he was a wife-abusing dick, um, and is one of Tom Hanks's better performances. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a well-observed, carefully made war film with a lot of good to say. So, yeah. Yeah, I really love Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Grandy. Uh, my number six is going to be Hotel Rwanda. Uh, and it's not nearly as action-packed as uh, a lot of the war films that I like. Uh, which is probably why it's number six, but it goes into a lot more of the politicalness of, of what war is, and or not what war is, but more of the workings of war, less the actual combat. And I like that. Right on. Uh, JP? Um, my number six is also Saving Private Ryan because it's action-packed and kept me totally entertained the whole way through. All right. Uh, my number six is uh, just a personal favorite, uh, not because it's particularly amazing in any way, but it's just a really it's a near and dear to my heart movie, uh, Enemy at the Gates, which goes uh, follows um, Russian snipers at the, the Battle of Stalingrad, holding off the uh, advancing army despite the fact that they're surrounded. That's right, isn't it? It was Stalingrad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I liked that movie, and I liked what it had to say about perceived communism and uh, stuff like that that they were fighting for. So, it's my number six. Uh, okay, my number five is something that I not only think is an interesting and beautiful war film and beautifully made, but also one that is about a subject on war that I don't think any film has quite expressed in this way before, and that's this idea of, of memory and how someone who participates in something as awful as war, who might have to kill people, not just one, but by the many, uh, would process that. Uh, and that's uh, Walsh with Bashir, uh, the Ari Fullman film from 2008. It's uh, essentially a war documentary of him. He was uh, from Israel, participated in the 80s with the Israeli army on a, a massacre on Lebanon. Uh, the Israeli army invaded, uh, I think, Beirut, and uh, many, many people were killed. And he suddenly realizes, oh, I was in that, but I, I can't remember a thing about it. 
and it's all about him trying to trace back through the story. Uh, but the entire thing is animated over, so it takes on the surreal quality of, and it really becomes a film about memory and about maybe trying to forget traumatic experiences, but also trying to pierce through that memory and find out what actually happened. So uh, it's a really cool war film that I highly recommend. Uh, for me, my number five is tied with my number four and my number three, uh, which would be Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, and Black Hawk Down. Uh, and that's just because they're really gritty war movies, in my mind, probably very realistic. And, and they focus more on the combat and the war than they do on the character development. Uh, and for a war movie, I think they do it very well. All three of them. Yeah, my number five is The Road Warrior because it's good versus evil and there's a true neutral party that comes in and kicks everybody's ass. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, my number five was going to be um, um, Hurt Locker, but I decided to remove it from my list entirely and uh, put War Horse because um, that is the first movie that actually, like, uh, uh, lined up to my brain's mindscape's view of trench warfare and mustard gas and barbed wire and blah blah blah. Um, I'd never quite seen it like that on the screen before. I thought that was awesome. Uh, Brady? <laughs> I don't care what you think of Hurt Locker, but <laughs> War Horse. Oh, God. <laughs> I got Brady scared again. Okay. Um, my number four war movie. It could even potentially belong higher. This thing is beautiful. Like I, It's an <coughs> unimpeachably devastating story, and I think it shows a side of war that we don't get often, uh, especially because, you know, if you look at a war film like Life is Beautiful, which is even a film I like, when it comes to children, no one wants to get into the issue that war kills people regardless of what age group they fall into. So I'm for my number four, I'm picking... The animated film uh, from the 80s, I believe, Grave of the Fireflies. This is essentially just the story of two Japanese children, and their father is actually fighting in World War II with the Japanese, and their mother, within the first 15 minutes, is killed in the firebombing. And we find out from the beginning that these children die from starvation, and the entire thing is just following the slow course of that. of two children, an older brother, and his probably early teens and his six-year-old sister surviving for as long as they can until they can't. And it's a, it's a brutally honest depiction of uh, what war does to, to the people on the sidelines. Uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> devastating movie. One of the saddest movies I, I've ever watched. Oh, uh, my number... Oh, it's all tied up. Four, four. So still tied with... Platoon, Black Hawk Down, and uh, Full Metal Jacket. JP. Um, I, I picked the uh, Band of Brother miniseries because it's a, it's a, it's a really fun series. It's like, I know it's not a movie, but it, it, uh, what grabbed me about that one is it, it kind of like puts you right there in the in the middle of everything that's going on, and uh, you know you you see uh, characters that that you like getting blown up, which is you know always really cool in my opinion. Uh, it makes for a fun watch. And, uh, yeah, for some reason I like that. Okay. 
Uh, my number four is Inglorious Bastards. Me being Rob, by the way. Uh, because uh, Rob Hart's Tarantino. Anyway, Brady? Okay, that brings us to my number three. Uh, my number three is Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker from 2009. Uh I think this thing has a, a lot of qualities we don't often get in even the best war movies. I, I'm tempted right now to call it the best acted war movie I've seen because I, I don't think war movies are typically this intensely character-driven. But what I love is that this movie says something about the addiction of war but uh, extrapolates it further to say to kind of suggest, I think, that maybe the reason we keep getting into wars is that there are people who are addicted to the adrenaline of it that adrenaline itself is maybe one of the fuels that propagates conflict. And not only does that, but keeps the entire thing intensely focused on character. And each set piece, which is incredibly tense, has its own kind of action thrust. So it's not just, you know, it's about a team of bomb disposers, but it's never just like, okay, this bomb's going to explode, this bomb's going to explode. Each one has its own kind of perils. And so I think it, it feels visceral and immediate while also tackling some really psychological problems about the continual existence of warfare in society. Oh, yeah. So mine, number three, is Henry V, the uh, Kenneth Branagh version. I, I thought it was uh, really well acted. It's, uh, uh, it's just a lot of fun. All right. My number three is uh, Saving Private Ryan, as many important members of this panel have said. Uh, Brady. <laughs> My number two is uh, Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line. Uh, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it, I almost feel unqualified to speak on it. I just know that it's, it's beautiful and uh, well-acted and unbelievably shot. And I, I think its central thrust is, you know, one of the important questions of war, which is just this idea of the kind of interlocking nature of, of peace and life and conflict and death. And uh, Malik sees that very simple but very, I think, profound thread in warfare and uh, mines it for all it's worth. So, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. My number two has got to be Saving Private Ryan. Um, it, was a, it was an epic movie. Um, and my huge appreciation for it was that it was gritty, uh, just like my number three, four, and five, but it took the time to add a lot of character development in it, and they meshed very well. My number two is The Longest Day. It's a real classic. It's um, it's a good movie. I like it. It's number two. See him there, Pilgrim. Ain't that funny? Yeah. I think it, you know, one of the coolest things is it shows like all the different parts of D-Day. You've got the paratroopers and you got the people on the beaches and the people that just kind of breeze in and I'm fighter crippled. planes. He's dead and you're lost. Crippled, dead, or lost. Uh, my number two is um, not that. My number two is Full Metal Jacket because Kubrick, Rob Hart Kubrick. Brady Hart Kubrick, too. He just missed this list. Uh, no, no. For number one, I, it's the easiest answer I know, and tons of people have said it, but it's the granddaddy. It's Apocalypse Now. It, if you want a film that's both visceral in its action 
and visceral with character. Has characters a thousand times as threatening as Barnes and Platoon. Action that matches it, and just completely nails the head trip of war of the Vietnam War specifically. Nothing tops Apocalypse Now. Nothing tops. I smell the. I love the smell of napalm in the morning, of uh, surfers dodging you know mortar shells. It's just a, an unbelievable movie. Um, yeah, an unbelievable nightmare of a war movie, which any good war movie probably should be a nightmare. My number one is not a movie. It's a show. Uh, Band of Brothers. Um, they were able to uh, show a lot of the different dynamics of the war of war because it was a movie or a series instead of a movie. Um, and it's gritty like the rest of them and tons of character development, which <laughs> they, they the together well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's another thing that I really liked about it. Uh, not enough movies kill the characters that you like. The ones uh, that they've developed. You, you, you like, expect, what? You, you, <laughs> no, you that's great. You couldn't expect, you couldn't uh, figure out who was going to die. Uh, which you shouldn't be able to. It sounds like a yeah, zombie it's, movie. It's it's really random. You, you know who gets it. Yeah, some of your really good war movies are apparently very much like zombie movies. Um, my number one war movie is Kelly's Heroes. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's it's a blast all the way through. It's it's not really about nazis versus americans it's more americans figure out that there's a whole bunch of gold somewhere and they go on a gigantic heist (laughs) (laughs) with tanks and (laughs) with tanks and uh and uh and all of their army equipment and you know uh, while they were supposed to be on leave it's uh you know it's probably the spiritual godfather of a a lot of a lot of movies um world war ii's oceans 11 Oh yeah, well you could probably no no it it wasn't anything that elaborate. Like I said, they were using tanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, my number one's Apocalypse Now. For enough said. Because Rob Hart's Apocalypse. Yeah, it would be. I wish Coppola would find his way again. He's kind of. I think he's too old. You're a grocery clerk. <laughs> Thanks, back with the show. Bitch! Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. We're back, and we're going to do it. That was probably a bit of a shout. Hi, everybody. We're back. Uh, We're going to do our... What movie are we doing next week? We're skipping the What's It All About on uh, Platoon because we're running out of things to say. Um, Oh, are we... Are we completely done with Platoon? Wait, okay. Uh, here's I can I can I take the reins here for a sec. All right, we're not done with platoon. I mean, we're almost done with platoon. I think, unless we're not, guys. You got big things to say about platoon? Not really. We got time. What? No. Okay. So I thought I, we all collectively decided we were done saying things about platoon. Okay. Okay. So wait. That said, we've got two C pluses, and I've come down from an A to a B slash B plus. So I've also gone a bit negative. Grandy's gone positive. I want to hear in sequence from the negatives the thing they think is good about this movie. It's playing Pollyanna here. And Grandy, I want to hear a criticism against the movie from you. Huh. 
it's entertaining. Yeah, it's got that going for it. Well done. Well done. Grando? Uh, I don't think there's a lot of bad to say about this movie. Um, I mean, it was made in 89, so there should be a lot more that's not good about it. But I, I really thought that it was a, a well-put-together movie um, that really put an emphasis on what happened in Vietnam. thought that it had a, a solid amount of realism and uh, nothing negative really pops in my head about it. All right. Wow. I couldn't get him to do it. All right. I'll say <laughs> this. If there's one thing I do like about this movie. I think it has a lot of moments of visual beauty. That great shot where we get see all the soldiers and they're kind of shot from underneath and lightning's kind of peppering the sky. That was cool. In Defoe's scene when we see the helicopter gust blow the tarps off the dead bodies. Every now and then, uh, Stone does come up with a way to make this visual in a cool way. Even as much as I have some visual criticisms against it. Moments where I thought that, you know, he could have gone a different direction. But I will say, I found some some definite moments of uh, visual stunning beauty. So, Rob. Yes, sir. What? Say something positive. About this movie? Yeah. I think Grandy has said it all, man. I think um, he said that it was very realistic and i think as far as vietnam realism veterans at the time kind of said that so uh yeah cool cool all right so what are we doing next week suggestions Wee herman's great adventure who killed roger rabbit Ooh, i'm i'm with that is my favorite movie i'm kind of with grandy here you know what I'm going to say, I'm dropping four months. It's dropped. I was going to agree with it this time. How are you? Oh, that's too bad. Because uh, <laughs> I, I want us to do a top of 2013 show soon. And for that reason, the more good movies you see this year, the better. So I'm thinking I'd like to nominate either this year's Francis Ha or this year's Stories We Tell. Both very, very, very great movies. I don't know if we can watch either of those at our place. I have the files. Oh, you do, do you? I, that's how I watch them. Oh. Okay. They're both really great. I can go with Heath Brain Roger Rabbit, so that's that's three. Heath <laughs> Brain Roger Rabbit. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, I didn't even bring it up. It's just my favorite movie. What kind of favorite movie would it be to me if I didn't vote for it? I thought it got brought up before at some point. But whatever. Okay. Yeah, I think Grady brought it up. I imagine I did. I really didn't expect such a positive response from that suggestion. It's a good it's, movie. It's literally my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Yours is Roger Rabbit. Mine's Blade Runner. Grandy, what's your favorite movie? I don't have a favorite movie. Brady? Pulp Fiction. You don't have a favorite movie, Grandy? No. Just say it was Platoon, and that way, you know, we'll just have to do my favorite next. But but Platoon was is not my favorite movie. Okay, well then, once again, my point is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Platoon is not even my favorite war movie. You know that, Rob. Remember? We all already know that, because we just did that rank it. We just did that. 
Remember the fun we had? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I guess we're going to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit next week. Theme song. Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob We are grunts, guys. We're in this together. We're going to get through this podcast and get back to that sweet girl in New York. We're going to take her to Coney Island. Have sex with her on the carousel. I need a hot dog.